Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Cody Davidson, filling in for Ben Blakey. It's Monday, March 28th, 2022. My grandma was always known as an excellent host. She would regularly have large dinner parties, being well-connected to my mom's hometown back in Florida. Her Christmas ones were especially amazing, complete with a Santa village. You know, those little porcelain homes and buildings that families will decorate a mantle or a couple shelves with during Christmas? Well, her village, it stretched over half a dozen or more six-foot tables and contained multiple moving elements meticulously designed. It was incredibly cool to see. And she always had excellent food. But one year, for Thanksgiving, with just our family coming together, she tried something that ended up going, well, terribly. She decided to try and make a turducken. Popularized by John Madden, it's a turkey stuffed with a duck, stuffed with a chicken. And supposedly, it tastes amazing. I, however, wouldn't know. Because this entree, this bird, it it never cooked. It just stayed raw, despite hours and hours in the oven. The layers of the bird never got to the uh, edible stage. And so, instead of having a wonderful centerpiece entree for our Thanksgiving dinner, we awkwardly waited, snacking on side dishes as they slowly got cold before ultimately giving up altogether. Thankfully, it was just our family there, so awkwardness was quickly diffused by the ability to laugh with and at each other. But we fear this sort of thing whenever we host people for dinner, that the entree doesn't cook or maybe it gets burnt. Or maybe the conversation veers in a direction that leads to heated arguments. Or maybe the conversation just becomes stale, full of awkward silences and stares. We strive to avoid awkwardness as much as possible in our dinner parties, both the ones that we host and the ones that we attend. In our reading in the New Testament today, we come to another awkward dinner party filled with tension. Jesus is dining at the house of one of the Pharisees, a ruler among them even, an elite of the religious people. On the surface, all things seem great. After all, Jesus has been invited to dine with him, it would seem, welcomed as a guest by an elite Pharisee, surrounded by other lawyers and Pharisees, other high-up religious officials. But beneath the surface, just a little ways, tension is boiling. They were watching him carefully, Luke says. And after all, why wouldn't they? Just previously in Luke 13, Jesus has come into conflict with the Pharisees over healing on the Sabbath in a different synagogue. The ruler of that synagogue had been indignant that the woman had even come to the synagogue on the Sabbath to be healed, let alone the fact that Jesus himself had chosen to heal her. How improper. So the Pharisee in our passage, probably aware of this incident, has invited this itinerant teacher over to dinner out of respect and hospitality, but he's eyeing Jesus with suspicion. And lo and behold, we've got our first moment of awkwardness. It's the Sabbath, and suddenly, standing before Jesus and the other dinner guests is a man with dropsy. A man of need, in need of healing, is present at this different ruler of the Pharisee's house. And it's the Sabbath. And so, Jesus raises the question to this host and fellow guests. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? The lawyers and Pharisees gathered here for dinner don't say a thing. So Jesus heals the man, releases him, sends him away, and then rebukes the Pharisees for their hypocrisy. Once again, they show more concern for their own traditions than for the suffering man in their midst. 
we should see something important in the fact that this man suffered from dropsy, a condition that led to swelling in the body as well as an insatiable thirst. The condition was even, at times, associated with greed, because this insatiable thirst occurred in one who already had too much fluid. So, by God's providence, here is a man, before the Pharisees, suffering from the physical condition that is the embodiment of their own spiritual condition, greed and pride. Jesus heals this man physically. He offers that healing spiritually to the dinner party guests. Greed leads us to an insatiable thirst for the very thing that is killing us. Let us be certain that we aren't suffering from spiritual dropsy. Simply because we aren't out robbing banks and we don't possess the wealth of Jeff Bezos, let us not think that we aren't susceptible to the greed that is so pervasive within our own society. Now, back to the dinner party, where the tension is building like an overinflated balloon about to burst. And Jesus... He doubles down on it. He calls out the pride and arrogance of the guests with a parable about a banquet, having observed how the dinner guests had all chosen the places of highest honor for themselves. Jesus tells of a wedding feast, warning them not to choose the place of highest honor there. For if someone of higher societal rank should arrive, then they would be forced to stand up and, humiliated before all the guests, take the long, slow walk all the way down to the place of lowest honor. Instead, Jesus says, they should take that seat of lowest honor for themselves. For then the host may see them in the lowest place and say, No, friend, that is far too low for you, and elevate them to a higher place, gaining honor, in fact, in front of all who are present. And this is a lesson that those who exalt themselves will be humbled, while the humble, they will be exalted. What a cautionary word for us, living in a society where self-promotion and self-exaltation is all the rage. Just scroll social media for a few minutes if you doubt me. And the calling for Christians is not just to abstain from self-promotion, but to also actively sacrifice for the sake of Christ, to humble ourselves. The end of our chapter in Luke today discusses the high cost of discipleship, of following Christ. We're to hate our own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, even our own life to be Christ's disciple. While Christ is using hyperbole, Christ's love for the church is the template for our love for our wives' husbands, and the commandment to honor our father and mother is still active children, to give just two examples. It's certainly the case that Christ is calling us to value him and following him above all else. Whereas the Pharisees were pursuing their own honor at the banquets, Christ was calling his disciples to take up the unbearable shame of the cross in order to follow him. Let us be certain that nothing in our lives is too precious to us that we cannot forgo it for the sake of Christ. Whether it be life, limb, or liberty, honor, status, prestige, relationships, let us be willing to renounce it all for the sake of Christ. Remember, he's already trod this path before us. He is the one who humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And let us remember also that the host of the banquet, God the Father himself, will exalt his beloved children in eternity. We will be repaid at the banquet at the resurrection of the just. 
So the dinner party tension is erupting, and Jesus, having called out the self-aggrandizing guests, turns his attention to the banquet host. He's an equal opportunity offender, telling him to not invite friends, family, or rich neighbors to his banquets, since by doing so, he will receive similar invitations, reciprocating prestige and honor amongst each other. But instead, he ought to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Though they cannot repay him, God the Father will at the resurrection of the just. And here, someone sees the opportunity to diffuse the situation. The dinner party must be salvaged, the awkwardness must be undone, and here is the release valve. Talk of heaven and eternity! He stands up. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God, raising his cup. And blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus, he immediately pivots from temporal wedding feasts and the wisdom there to the wedding feast of the Lamb, the feast that these men assume they will be attending, the blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God, but which, in fact, by virtue of their hardened, greedy, prideful hearts, they're in fact on the outside looking in at. Though they profess to be the people of God, they're in fact like salt that has lost its saltiness, good for nothing. Their concern is for temporal things, and their lives reflect that priority. Hence, their rejection of the Messiah, despite their great learning. Hence, the fact that they will not attend this wedding feast, but instead will be left outside. And let us remember that in this parable, Jesus tells, We who are in Christ were the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, the downtrodden, whom the master compels to come to the feast. May that keep us humble before our Lord. And may we be certain that we are salty, that we look like Christ, that our lives taste like Jesus. Christ's disciples are the salt of the earth. Let us be certain that we are truly salty. In Deuteronomy today, we read of a variety of laws covering a variety of subjects, from atonement offered for unsolved murders and laws governing sexual immorality to the importance of only taking the eggs and young of birds and not the mother also. A good reminder for those of you who are raising chickens at home. Let us take a brief look, however, at the atonement laws related to the death of someone found out in open country. If they don't know who killed this man, they are to discover the closest city to the place where the man is found, and the elders of that city will offer a heifer in sacrifice, asserting that they did not shed this man's blood, and to also make atonement for the blood guilt for the man's death. Certainly, today we live in a society that, despite our advances in technology, we still encounter situations where a murder goes unsolved. There are entire podcasts and shows devoted to such things. And our hearts, rightly, desire justice to be done in these situations, the murderer to be found out and brought to account for the murderer. But despite our desire to see justice done, and even in situations where murderers are brought to account, our ability to enact justice is still insufficient. But we know that while we are unable to bring justice to account fully, we know that the Lord does. When we see atrocities in this world, small and great, Let us remember that God is still on his throne, and he is not aware of these atrocities. He will judge all things rightly. He will repay all wrong that is done. God is just, even when we ourselves have no hope of seeing this justice done ourselves. Let us turn also to chapter 22, verses 1 through 4. Here Moses commands the people to care for the lost livestock and garments and any such thing of their brothers. 
Even if they don't know whose ox it is that has gotten lost, they are to take it home, tend to it, and to restore it to their brother when he comes looking for it. And if they should pass by their brother whose donkey or ox has fallen, they may not ignore it, but they are to lift them up again. Are we going about our own lives? As we do so, are we able to slow down and notice the brothers around us who have fallen down? Or are our eyes too glued on ourselves and our phones that we don't notice our brothers in need around us? We probably won't see them stuck beneath a donkey on the side of Chinden. Please, don't ride your animals on Chinden. But do we see brothers who are struggling because inflation and gas prices have especially hurt their businesses? Do we see brothers and sisters hurting, having gone through some suffering? Let us be willing to renounce our own comforts and our own desires so that we might, as the salt of the earth and light of the world, practically care for our brothers and sisters in need. Finally, chapter 22, verses 22 through 23, is a seemingly odd aside in these chapters, and yet it includes for us, New Testament believers, the great hope, the reversal of our own stories. Paul, writing in Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 through 14, quotes this passage, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Praise God that Christ became a curse on our behalf, that we, the crippled, poor, lame and blind, might be welcomed into the resurrection of the just and the wedding feast of the Lamb, a dinner party free from tension, awkwardness, or any such thing, but in fact where we will be with God and glory forever. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. Ben Blakey will be back on Wednesday, March 30th, 2022. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, please go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.